people watching and, and listening to us may have seen a few notes from me this week about, about new ways of generating yield and, and, and looking for excess returns on your, your investments and on your cash um, using an alternative financial system um, to, to achieve the kinds of yields that you could never get in the banking system, at least not now. You used to back in the good old days. Um, and I think there's never probably been a more important time for people to look at all the tools and weapons that are available to them um, and, and use them. Um, and it, it comes in a variety of forms. It comes in. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. I am your editor, Sam Volkering, and my regular co-editor, Kit Winder, is back after a, uh, a week's hiatus of which we had James Allen come on and talk to us last week. But Kit, it is very nice to have you back on with us again and, and lots happening all over the world as no doubt, well, hopefully you switched off from a lot of that while you were away. Um, but I wanted to kick off today um, and I wanted to look at China. Aha, China, because uh, there's a lot of stocks that are listed on the US markets that are Chinese companies. So Alibaba, Baidu, JD.com, um, and they have been hammered so hard. So we've, we've, we've talked a bit about the big sell-off in tech and the volatility in markets, but the Chinese stocks have taken an absolute battering. If I, think, I think the Alibaba price is lower than its IPO price, and it's getting pretty close to all-time lows. Um, I mean, what do, do when I see something like that, right? My first mind sort of process is, hmm, is there an opportunity here? And I think there might be, but I don't think it's probably now. Um, what what what's your take on on China? Is do we write off China now? I mean, are they too? too tightly linked to, to Russia and what's happening in Russia there? Is it, is it a regime that can no longer be trusted in the markets or could maybe never have been trusted in the first place? But uh, what do you sort of make of the situation with the Chinese stocks? Uh, well, first, you're right. I mean, the, the fall in Chinese technology stocks has been extraordinary. And we better not forget what's happening with property in China, with Evergrande leading all of the property developers. Sure. Further down the hole, I mean, the the media spotlight has rightly moved to other places in the world, but that property crisis in China continues and the, the debts uh, of those property developers are getting no more attractive in investors' eyes, at least. Um, but you're right in that when, you know, a major country with one of the best economies of the last two decades uh, sees its tech companies fall in price by 60, 70, 80%, the whole index, I mean, firstly, it's a reminder of what can happen. Uh, for investors who are looking at, um, you know, American markets down now, S&P's down sort of 10 or 11% from its peak yeah. only, despite the incredible conversations that have gone around the terrifying decline. Um, but, you know, when something that major has gone down that far, we're, we're certainly right to look at it. And I think just in the last week, Chinese regulators uh, and their policy committees came out and sort of, with a number of measures, implicitly said that they would support the market so it was about you know regulations on tech companies coming to an end or the the increase in regulations uh, was going to end soon uh, it was about supporting the property sector it was about keeping liquidity uh, at levels that were 
uh, accommodative rather than destructive. Uh, and there were a number of other things as well. So sort of the the incredible power of central banks and policymakers to support financial asset prices is something we've discussed a lot, mostly in America. But in China, it, it's almost even more true. The the growth in debt in that country to support financial assets, mainly property, has been extraordinary in the last 20 years. And it was sort of reinforced, I think, by the powers that be in that country. Um, and so perhaps now the, the renaissance for those those shares begin, or perhaps the, uh, the other side of that coin is that they are a leading indicator of what's to come for tech markets in our own countries. It's interesting that you know, a lot of people probably look at China and, and think, oh, geez, I'm glad I don't own a lot of Chinese stocks. But if what, what maybe some investors aren't necessarily that aware of, and we spoke about this actually recently as well, about understanding and knowing what your fund invests in. If you've got any money in any kind of, ER, um, not ESG, any kind of emerging markets fund, um, I remember, I don't know, maybe you're a bit too young for it, but when, do you remember when the first, you know, brick ETFs started to, to launch and become popular? Um, China makes up such a massive component of a lot of those emerging market funds um, because it's still classified weirdly as an emerging market, but they have been eviscerated along with the individual tech stocks themselves. And it just like, it, it, it looks, when you look at the chart, it looks like the chart from 2008, 2009 during the global financial crisis. And when you look back at that chart, and you can almost find the, per you, you can, you can find a perfect bottom in the, the US markets in particular around, I think it was March, 2009, where basically the market was just completely smashed to bits. And it looks a lot like that now. And I've, I've got this weird working theory, which I'm trying to test that March during, during periods of absolute market crisis, that March is the point of which we achieve these unbelievable lows. Um, you know, the, the 2020 pandemic crisis also saw March be the, the bottom of that particular market, albeit they kind of bounced and now we're sort of back there again. Um, what do you think? Is, is, March, is March the time to, to look at these insane discounts, if you want to look at it that way, and, and look to, to, to get back in to some of these positions? Uh, I I know that certainly there are sort of seasonality trends that over 80 years have sort of built up where some months are better than others, but that's at best a sort of tip in the hat, 1% in either direction. Uh, I would be nervous to say that anyone should think buy in March and see you later. Um, but I'm going to try I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove my theory at some point. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure of it, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, the old sort of adage was uh, sell in May and go away, or was it buy in May? I think is yeah, it was, it was around the it was around the um, the sort of half year sort of mark. Depending on when, I know that was that certainly rung true in um, in the Australian markets because the corporate financial year in Australia runs from July one to June thirty, and so you kind of offloaded a lot of your stocks in May, getting ahead of the June crowd that were looking to cap to basically crystallize their capital losses so that come tax time they were they were um, carrying forward losses and then then offsetting them against any potential future gains but um, the UK it's it's weird how all all markets run on these weird different calendar and financial years and so maybe those sorts of uh, yeah 
<laughs> those sorts of um, particular month picking is is not the way the best way forward. Who knows? But certainly, I mean, you mentioned are we looking at a, a, a bottom for stocks right now? I mean, we're seeing uh, just very recently that uh, progress has been made with peace talks, a sort of fifteen point plan drawn up between Russia and Ukraine, Ukrainian neutrality, and it sort of seems as though that conflict has not gone the way Russia has hoped. Obviously, they're now sort of pleading with foreign uh, mercenaries basically to come and help them out. Um, but that that would provide the lift for stock markets, uh, at least in the short term that they've been looking for for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and you mentioned Chinese tech, tech stocks. They were up, some, you know, more than 8%, one of the tech indices, you know, a whole index up 8% on Tuesday after the news from regulators that they were going to be more supportive in future. Um, so who knows, maybe there is a sort of bounce on the way. The question is then whether that is a, a, you know, a mega discount low or whether that's one of the bounces on a continuing way down because when the Russia-Ukraine crisis ends, hopefully it does, um, you know, we're back to worries about rising rates. We're back to 7.9% inflation amidst the Ukraine war. Uh, a new higher inflation print was was read out in America um and you know the the surge in oil prices and energy prices in general certainly won't have helped um so the picture is if anything getting worse on the inflation side uh, in the last month so if we can uh, and i hope we can leave the russia ukraine crisis behind we don't go back to an incredibly happy picture anyway so is this a discount and a low or is this sort of bounce on the way down uh we will only be able to find out later sadly yeah, only time ever tells in these sorts of things. And it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, if eventually this conflict will end, um, contrary to I'm sure many people believe that it is a world war that will rage on for years and years and years. Um, maybe, maybe not, but it will, but eventually comes to an end. Uh, and when it does, you I know have no doubt that the market will be kind to those things. And uh, as we've written about an exponential investor recently. Um, you know, you've got to be aware that some of the systemic problems that still exist in the economy that were there well before any conflict kicked off or any conflict increased its intensity over there. Uh, rates uh, are heading higher now because they're trying to control inflation, but inflation is out of control. So they're um, paying little service, I think, to the severity of that and a, and a, and a small rate, rate rise here and maybe one there. It isn't going to do the trick, but uh, it is certainly going to uh, cause an cause an impact. And I think you know it, it's it's topsy turvy, right? Because if a conflict ends and then all of a sudden gas starts flowing again and the oil price starts to come back down again, so the petrol pumps a little little cheaper, I bet you it doesn't go back down to you know uh, a pound forty or a pound fifty for uh, a liter of diesel. I bet you it stays up above one sixty. Um, these, 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 they never tend to come down as fast as they, or as far as they go up these sorts of prices and the cost of you, you know, your shopping bill, your energy prices. I don't, don't see those, you know, I don't see my gas bill halving uh, in the next few months because it, it you know, it, it pretty much doubled over the last, well, almost tripled over the last year. So there are some systemic issues. I think that people still need to really consider and factor in that. Um, there seems to be a lot of people sort of putting a lot of, uh, impetus into the fact that this conflict will end and what it's going to do, but there are still some really major issues with how central banks and the government are dealing with economies off the back of, you know, a lot of people forget that economies were shut down for two years. Um, that impact doesn't just disappear overnight when all of a sudden, you know, 
a lot of those restrictions are eased. So uh, there's some there's some pain to come, and it's it's interesting because um, you know, and 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 people watching and, and listening to us may have seen a few notes from me this week about about new ways of generating yield and 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 looking for excess returns on your your investments and on your cash um, using an alternative financial system um, to to achieve the kinds of yields that you could never get in the banking system at least not now you used to back in the good old days um, and i think there's never probably been a more important time for people to look at all the tools and weapons that are available to them um, and and use them um, and it, it comes in a variety of forms it comes in investing in the market in the smart way uh, investing in the right kinds of sectors and asset classes, um, whether it be stocks and shares or, you know, some of the ETFs. I know you've been looking at some some big thematic ETFs as well recently. And then looking at alternative options in the alternative financial system. So we talk about cryptocurrency, which for a lot of people is still risky and scary and they're very fearful and don't believe in it. But I think when people start to understand what is available to the everyday investor and how it can work to their benefit that it'd be crazy not to think about how you can leverage that to your advantage. Um, and again, you know, you can see that in our coverage this week in Exponential Investor, there should probably be a link at some point uh, somewhere around this video to, to learn more about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those periods, it's, it's, it feels like it's a very uneasy time at the moment, Kit, but um, I mean, surely there's, there's there's reason to be optimistic still, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I mean, always. Um, and, you know, maybe uh, one group of people who have the most reason to be optimistic are, are gold investors. I mean, you talk about investing outside the financial system. And I think one thing that maybe has gone a little bit unnoticed in this whole crisis was that America cancelled uh, Russia's central bank. They cancelled their uh, foreign reserves. And so they're essentially telling the world that, if you hold your reserves in US dollars or in US treasuries, US debt, uh, we can sort of cancel them. We will if we don't like what you're doing. And so quite a lot of central banks uh, across the world will be thinking maybe they're not actually the safest asset to hold in the world that we thought they were. And the obvious thing that people will turn to is gold. So, you know, that sanction, which went alongside cutting Russia out of SWIFT, will be making a whole lot of regimes think that they shouldn't be only sort of holding their asset reserves in, in US dollars. They should also be holding things like gold and maybe that'll push them towards newer, more digital uh, alternatives as well, Sam, that I know you'll know more about than me. But that certainly, I think, is something that gold investors should pay particular attention to and all investors, in fact, because we started the conversation by talking about China. But, you know, America cutting a country as big as Russia out of the financial system is going to have very profound impacts for uh, you know, the global financial system and China will be a beneficiary. Already we're seeing talks about uh, China, I think, building a new ref refinery with uh, Saudi money uh, and that's to sort of refine Russian oil, but that will all be priced in yuan. So China will be looking to seize on this opportunity of, you know, the Americans cutting one country out of the dollar system to increase the, the relevance of their currency, the yuan, in the global financial system as well. So that is a change that has been acceler accelerated by this war in Europe. And uh, yeah, for gold investors and for people who are sort of looking at the bigger, the macro, the sort of the multipolar world idea, 
of US versus China, that is also a very significant development as well. So maybe that's not the most optimistic thing, but uh, definitely something I wanted to mention on this podcast before it finished. Yeah, and I think we might pick that one up next week and maybe have a bit more of a discussion around the uh, the idea of... Um, you know, because you know Russia has been cut out of, of all financial networks and rails and payment system from SWIFT to Visa to MasterCard to uh, you know the financial sanctions imposed on them and and they've obviously turned to China to support a lot of that uh, system for them to to continue to operate their economy as much as it's getting absolutely obliterated as well. Um, so there's certainly something there to talk about next week, perhaps with obviously China implementing their digital one, their central bank digital currency, and, and how that's perhaps a, a precursor for what we can expect in the US, in the UK, in Europe, and pretty much all over the world around the idea of central bank digital currencies and um, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of that. So we might pick up on that topic in the next week or two. Um, for anybody listening. So anyway, we've gone on long enough today. Thanks very much for your input again, as usual, Kit. Nice to have you back. And everybody that is watching and listening to us, thank you for joining us. We'll be back again with you next week with another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. Thanks for watching. Bye for now.